Amen. So tonight we have a guest speaker that is not so much a guest anymore. We're going to welcome him and his wife, Janae, to the Tree of Life family. They have moved to Cincinnati, and they will be, amen. Amen. They will be evangelizing out of Tree of Life Church. Brother Rod and Sister Janae Saunders, this is Pastor's sister's son. It's Pastor's nephew, and uh, he has been for several years now, and he can clean up any mistakes I make, but he's, for several years now he has been helping our pastor's dad and that church in Indianapolis, um, supporting them and doing a great work, and now he's going out on the evangelism field. But um, we're going to welcome them here to Cincinnati. They're expecting their first child. Amen. Congratulations on that, too. Amen. And it usually takes me a minute, Brother Rod, to not think that you are your uncle because his voice sounds just like his uncle Nathan. But uh, he's going to bless us tonight, Brother Rod, if you would come. And let's just welcome him to Tree of Life, to Cincinnati, to the pulpit. Amen. God bless you, friend. Amen. Let's continue to give a hand clap of praise to the Lord tonight. Jesus, we love you. Oh, come on. I think we can do a little better than that. Jesus, we love you. We worship you, Lord. There's no God like Jehovah. There's no God like our God. Amen. It feels good to be at Tree of Life. We always enjoy being at Tree of Life, but this time's a little different. This time we're, we're planning on staying a little longer than we usually do. <laughs> Amen. 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 We want to thank each and every one of you. You have already welcomed us with uh, loving arms. You've always, always done so. And we are just excited about what God has in store for the future. Amen. Amen. I keep hearing about this little building project that, that just seems to be right around the corner. Is that right? Is that right? Is anybody ready for that? Is anybody ready now? Amen. Amen. We are so excited about what God is going to do in this church and what God is going to do in this city. Amen. Amen. It's good to be here with my beautiful wife, of course. She is my biggest fan most of the time, most of the time, um, except for when I forget to take the trash out from rare occasion to rare occasion. <laughs> In all seriousness, I'm very thankful for her. She is my helpmeet. I found my one. She is a great blessing to me. I'm very thankful for her. And we are, in fact, expecting our firstborn child, and that's an exciting thing as well. I don't believe in doing uh, a little change here and there. We just got to do it all at once. <laughs> We've been moving and loading and unloading and packing and unpacking. And I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I've done enough moving this week. I'm going to need you to do the moving tonight. I'm going to need you to move in this place tonight. I'm going to need you to have your way and your perfect will in this place tonight. Amen. Amen. 
If you wouldn't mind turning in the word of the Lord with me this morning, we're going to turn to the book of Genesis, one of my personal favorites in this wonderful book, the book of Genesis chapter 16. We are going to start at verse number 6. Genesis 16, verse 6. And when you have it, say amen. And the word of the Lord says this. But Abraham said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. And the angel of the Lord found her by the fountain of water in the wilderness by the fountain in the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, whence comest thou? And whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress and submit thyself under her, under her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly that it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and thou shalt bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And he will be a wild man, and his hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou, God, seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? Wherefore the well was called Ber Lahai Roy. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bare Abraham a son. And Abram called his name, which Hagar bare Ishmael. By the help of the Holy Ghost tonight, I'd like to just talk to you for a few moments about the God who sees. The God who sees. Could we lift our hands and our voice to heaven tonight and ask the Lord to meet us here in this place? Precious Jesus, we've come here for one purpose and one purpose only. Lord, and that is to touch you. That is to have an encounter with you. Lord, that is to have an interaction with our Savior. Lord, we want you to move in our midst tonight. Lord, we ask that you would speak to your people in the way that only you can speak to them. Lord, that you would heal in the way that only you can heal. Lord, that you would touch in the way that only you can touch. Lord, we ask that your perfect will will be made manifest in this building. In Jesus' precious, beautiful name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise before we're seated. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. You can be seated tonight. Thank you for standing for the reading of the word. The book of Genesis. The book of Genesis is known as the book of beginnings. The word Genesis in the Hebrew tongue literally meaning in the beginning. It's here in this book of beginnings that we read about the creation, how the Lord created the earth and everything that is in the earth, the sky, the earth, the animals, the plant life. We read about Noah 
and the ark. How God looked down and saw that everything was evil and Noah was the only thing that he saw that was worth saving at that time. We read how God instructed him to build an ark and he saved Noah and his family and destroyed the rest of mankind. We read about that great flood. We read about the Tower of Babel and the man that first was known as Abram and then later known as Abraham. There's quite a lot of territory covered in this, this book of beginnings. Thousands of years are covered in this book. But we'd like to focus on the life of Abraham tonight. Abraham was a patriarch of the faith. He is known as a figure of faith, if you will. A very, very strong example of what faith looks like and what faith acts like and what faith does in times of uncertainty. From him, Abraham, from him came the foundations of the world's three largest religious groups, Christianity, Judaism, and even Islam. He was a man with a very special relationship with God, a man whom God had promised would be the father of many, many nations. He was promised that his descendants would be as numerous as the sand on the shore and as numerous as the stars in the sky. And from him came great men because of this promise, men that God used to do very, very great things. Men like Isaac, men like Jacob, men like Joseph. We read about these great men and all of them came from the line of Abraham. But even as great as Abraham was, as, as strong and pillar-like and, and steadfast as Abraham seems, Abraham was still a man. He was a man of flaws. And he made his fair share of mistakes along the way throughout the course of his life. And one of the biggest mistakes directly affected the life of the woman I want to focus on this evening. A young woman named Hagar. You don't hear a lot about Hagar in the scripture. Hagar was an Egyptian. She was a bond woman. She was a slave, for lack of a better term. Abraham and Sarah had been given a promise by God that they would receive and bring forth a son. They had been given this promise. It had been promised over and over again several times. But as the time goes by and as the years begin to pile up, and as they see themselves aging and as the wrinkles begin to appear on their face and as knees and legs start to get feeble and wobbly, their faith appears to be dwindling. Sarah tells her husband, Abraham, take my servant Hagar that she may bear children for me. They could not wait for God's timing. So they foolishly attempted to manipulate God's promise through their own scheme, through their own ways. And that's not exactly how a promise works, folks. That's not exactly how a promise comes to fruition. That's like the Lord telling me, I'm going to bless you financially. So tomorrow morning, I waltz down to the bank and I tell the teller, why don't you just unload that cash drawer? Because the Lord said, he's going to bless me mightily. 
in my finances. That's not exactly how a promise works. You cannot wrap your earthly hands of clay around the eternal promise of God and, and attempt to shape it and to manipulate it into what you think it should look like, into what you think it should be. That's not how a promise, a promise from God works. Hear me tonight. Do not take the promises of God into your own hands. I know it can be so hard to wait at times. I know it can be hard to keep the faith in the lives that we live. I know that logic may tell you that time is running out and the doors are closing and there are no more pathways to the promise. But hear me tonight. Do not take the promise of God into your own hands. You can stand on his promises. His promises are yea and amen. If he said he'll do it, you can rest assured he's going to do it. If he said he's going to bring it to pass, you can take it to the bank because he's going to bring it to pass. That's just how he works. He's faithful. He never fails. His arm is not short. He is literally incapable of breaking his own promise because he is the only truth. He is the embodiment of truth. And when he makes you a promise, you can rest assured it will come to pass. But nevertheless, nevertheless, even with, with us knowing that and Abraham knowing that, we, we find Abraham and Sarai attempting to bring the promise to pass, the promise of God, on their own terms. Abraham hears the plea of his wife. He agrees. Hagar then conceives because of this. And immediately her attitude towards Sarai, her master, begins to change. The Bible says that she was despised in her eyes. And because of this, this angered Sarai, and Sarai deals hardly with her, which caused Hagar to flee, flee into the wilderness. And here we find her in this wilderness. And I feel like Hagar, I feel like she is sometimes viewed through the long, wrong lens when you read this story. You, we, we, we tend to view Hagar through the same lens in which we would view some kind of a villain or some kind of a homewrecker of sorts, if you will. But may I remind you tonight that Hagar is really the victim here. May I remind you that Hagar is really the victim in this story and in this situation. She was forced into an impossible situation. You think she had a choice? Hagar had no choice. She was a bond woman. She was a slave to her master, a servant to her mistress. She had no choice in the matter whatsoever. She was forced from her country. She was brought into a strange camp of people that were not her own. She was a stranger in a strange land. And she was pushed into a situation that she never, ever asked to be in. And now we see her. She's alone. She's, she's running from her master. She's in the wilderness. And she is all alone. I can only imagine that her mind is so full of questions so full of concerns, questions like why, 
Why? I, I, I never asked for this to happen. I didn't want this for my life. I didn't get a choice in the matter. I didn't intend for this to happen. Nobody understands what I am feeling or what I'm going through. Nobody hears my cry and nobody hears my plea. Nobody sees me. Right about then, she would hear the voice of the angel of the Lord say, Hagar, Hagar. And let me pause right there and say how thankful I am that we serve a God who knows us by name. I'm here to tell you he knows your name and he knows your situation. He knows the very numbers of hair on your head. I'm so thankful we serve a God that knows us by name. Up until this point, she was referred as mistress. She was referred to as bondswoman. She was referred to as slave and servant. But when the Lord addresses her in the wilderness, he doesn't call her slave or bondwoman or, or servant or anything of that nature. He calls her by name. And he calls out to her, Hagar, Hagar. I'm here to tell you he knows your name. He knows your name. And as, as he speaks to her in this wilderness, he promises her that her seed will be multiplied exceedingly and that her child will be a man of nations. And she responded, oh, I love her response. She responded, you are the God who sees me. Now I'm sure this was not Hagar's first encounter with religion. After all, she was an Egyptian. She was from the land of Egypt, the land of many, many false gods, the land of false gods, man-made gods and idols. There are over 2,000 Egyptian deities. There is Ra, the god of the sun, and there is Horus, the god of of the sky there is Seth the god of chaos and of violence and each of these these man-made gods would have specific abilities and specific characteristics and specific traits and they were a large part of their daily lives but they were simply inanimate objects not capable of speaking not capable of listening not capable of hearing not capable of even responding when the egyptians would cry under their gods the pleas of the people would fall on the deaf ears of these idols these false gods but here, hallelujah, here at this fountain, here in this wilderness, Hagar has an encounter with a God that she had never encountered before. A God who the Egyptians had never told her about before. A God who was able to hear her cry. A God who was able to see her affliction. A God who knew her by name. 
Now she did not know that he was the God who had set the earth on its axis. She did not know that he was the God who had cast the stars into the sky and named them and set the planets into orbit. She did not know that he was the God who had created every single living thing. She did not know that he was the God who had breathed the breath of life into man at the very beginning. She did not know that he was the God that was the one true God. She did not know that it was him and in his fullness. She did not know who he was. So in her beautiful, perfect, innocent ignorance, she said, you are the God who sees me. She didn't know who he was. She didn't know him in his fullness. All she knew is, you are the God who sees me. You are the God who sees me in this wilderness. You are the God who sees me in my affliction. You are the God who knew me by name. You are the God who could do what none of the gods of Egypt, hallelujah, what none of the gods of Egypt could ever ever do. I'm here to remind somebody this evening, it doesn't matter how alone you may feel. It doesn't matter what you may be facing. It doesn't matter what you may be going through. It doesn't matter how rejected or how isolated you may feel. I'm here to remind you this evening, you serve the God who sees. You serve the God who sees. He sees you no matter where you may be. He sees you no matter who, if nobody else sees you. He's He sees you. He sees you. He sees you. He sees you. He's not some inanimate object collecting dust in a temple somewhere. He is not some idol who has deaf ears. He is not some idol who has short arms and weak hands. He is the God whose arm is never, ever short. He knows your name. And he hears your cry. And he, he sees you. He sees you. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that he sees me. I'm thankful that he sees what I'm going through. I'm thankful that he has seen every tear. And he has heard every cry. And he has heard every prayer. And he has seen every hurt. And he has seen every wound. He's the God who sees. And he's the God who loves you anyway. And you can cry out to him. It doesn't matter where you are. Hagar was in the middle of a wilderness. You don't have to be in a perfect place to interact with God. You don't have to be in the perfect situation to have an encounter with God. It doesn't matter where you find yourself. It doesn't matter where life takes you. It doesn't matter how far you may how far you may have fallen. It doesn't matter where you may find yourself. When you call on him, he's there. He's there. The Bible says that he is our ever-present help in time of trouble. There is no place you can go to escape his watchful eye. He sees every step. He sees every mistake. He sees every hurt. He hears every cry. He sees you. He sees you. And, and, and you see God. God, he sees differently. Oh, does he see so much differently than we do. He sees things so differently than we see with these earthly eyes of clay. He sees people differently than we do. We look at somebody who's struggling. 
We look at somebody who may be in a tough spot of sorts. And and we immediately make a judgment on them based on what we see. Based on what we're able to collect with these eyes. Based on what we are able to see in this, this current time and in the present time. And, and we judge that person based on what we see with these human fleshly eyes. The problem with that is we don't see the way that God sees. And we don't see the things that God sees. And we haven't seen the things that God has seen. We look, we look and we just see the surface, the shallow surface of these things. We only see a small glimpse of the present moment, a present fleeting moment. And with that short moment, we determine how we are going to see that person. We've all done it. We're all guilty of it. We have all committed it. We see the guy with the cardboard sign and the dirty clothes. And based on that, what we see, we judge him. Our mind automatically says, bum. Wonder what his sob story is. Probably hasn't worked a day in his life. Heaven help us. Heaven help us. Heaven help us. We think we see so much. And we think we know so much. But we see so little. And we know so little. These earthly eyes by which we see only see the surface. And only see such a small portion of what is really going on. And what is really happening. And what has happened. This is why in John chapter nine Jesus and his disciples are passing by a blind beggar on the road and his disciples say with such confidence master who did sin who did sin somebody had to sin did this man sin or was it his parents that he was born blind who sinned somebody had to somebody had to that he wouldn't just be in this predicament for, for no reason at all. Something had to happen. Somebody had to sin. They looked and they saw a man who surely had sinned. They looked and they saw a man who surely deserved to be in the predicament and deserved to be in the situation that he found himself in. But Jesus, hallelujah, almighty God wrapped in flesh, the God who sees, looked at this same man that the disciples were looking at, and he didn't see what they saw. He saw every day of his past, and he saw every moment of his current situation, and he saw every day of his future and he responded in a way they never expected nobody has sinned nobody nobody has sinned nobody has sinned the disciples looked and they said surely someone has sinned but God the God who sees the God who sees every moment the God who sees every memory the God who sees every bit of the past and every bit of the present and every bit of the future looks and says no one has sinned but that the works of God may be manifest in and through him 
You think you know so much, disciples. You think you can see so much. You think you understand so much. But you're only seeing with what your earthly eyes are able to see. And you're not seeing from heaven's perfect perspective. You don't see what I see. He's the God, hallelujah. He's the God who sees, and he sees so differently than we do. He sees things that we could never know. He sees things that we could never see. He's the God who sees. In the book of Samuel, God, he has sent the prophet, the mighty prophet Samuel, to the little town of Bethlehem. He sent him there to anoint the next king of Israel. Saul had fallen out of grace with God. He had, he had disobeyed. He had fallen short. And God was moving on. He told Samuel, go and prepare to anoint the next king of Israel. But before he goes, the Lord speaks unto him and says, Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth, not as man seeth. For the Lord seeth, not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord, I said the Lord, looketh on the heart. Samuel, don't be fooled by the broad shoulders. Samuel, don't be fooled by the six foot for frame. Samuel, don't be fooled by what your earthly eyes are telling you would be the perfect candidate. Samuel, you don't see the way that I see, and you don't see what I see. You'll look in the wrong place, Samuel. I see the next king of Israel. You'll think that you see him. You'll look at the brothers and you'll say, surely this will be the next king of Israel. But that's not the king of Israel. You'll look at his broad shoulders and you'll say, surely this is the next king of Israel. But that's not the king of Israel. You'll look at his height and his stature and you'll say, surely God, this is the king of Israel. But that's not what I see Samuel that's not the king that I see the one that I see is out in the fields and he's keeping watch over his father's sheep he's keeping watch over the flock he's he's being the shepherd that I need him to be don't be fooled Samuel I know you may see a boy but I see a king and not only have I seen his past, not only have I seen his in him in the present, but I see his future. I have seen him worshiping and praising on the hillsides of Judea. I have seen him protect the flock from the bear and from the lion. I have seen him slay a giant in the midst of the Philistines. I have seen him bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem where it belongs. I have seen him and I've seen that he's a man after my own heart. I've seen things that you could never hope to see with your earthly eyes, Samuel. 
If you don't hear anything else that I say tonight, hear this. He sees you. And he sees things that nobody else can see. He sees you in your hurt. He sees you in the midst of the struggle. He sees you in the midst of the pain. He sees you in the midst of the trial of your life. He sees you. He sees you. He sees you. He sees you every time you step into that prayer closet. He sees you every time you show up for midweek service, even though you don't feel like like it he sees you every time you show up for outreach he sees you he sees you he knows you he knows your name he knows where you've been he knows where you are and he knows where you're going because he's not like any other god that the world has to offer. The world will try to push so many God's little G on you. So many things that they would try to let replace the, the pedestal that God deserves in your life. So many things they would try to push on you and to fill that void. But I'm here to tell you they never will fill that void. It is a God-shaped void. And they will never measure up. They will always fall short. I don't care what it is. I don't care who it is. There is only one true God and he sees you and he sees you hallelujah if the musicians could prepare to come I'm not going to preach much longer this evening the biggest lie the biggest lie that the enemy wants you to believe is that you're invisible that nobody sees you nobody hears you Nobody knows about you. How many know what I'm talking about? Everyone's, everyone's felt that way, I think, from time to time. Everyone has, has found themselves alone and thinking that nobody sees, nobody cares, nobody knows, nobody understands. I'm here to tell you that is a lie from the depths of hell. And the next time you find yourself thinking that way, and the next time you find yourself feeling that way, you need to rise up and say, devil, you get out of here. Because the God that I serve, he's the God that sees. And even though I may not understand why I'm going through what I'm going through, I know that he sees and not only does he see my present but he's seen where I've been and he sees where I'm going and I'm going to take his hand and I'm going to trust him hallelujah 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 you don't have to understand why you're going through what you're going through it's human nature we want to we want to know why we're facing what we're facing. I don't like going through things I don't understand. I don't like facing situations I don't, I don't understand and don't comprehend. I don't like doing those things. But life is full of things that you're never going to understand. And you're never going to comprehend. Things that happen to you and things that come your way that you don't deserve, that you didn't see coming. They are going to hit you like an 18-wheeler. But when they do, you can have absolute confidence in the God that you serve. Because he's not going to leave you in that wilderness you may be in the wilderness for a short time but there's a promise there's a promise there's a promise and he sees he sees he sees where you're going he sees where he's taking you 
even when you can't see it yourself. Could we lift our hands to heaven tonight? There's such a sweet presence of the Lord in this place. Oh, we trust you, Jesus. We know you're the God who sees. Hallelujah.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Brother Saunders. You know, one of the many things I'm, I'm thankful for about a God that sees us is that oftentimes when I'm praying for my daughter as she goes to school or wherever, that I can't be with her, and we feel like we need to be the ones that are protecting and looking over and, and constantly got have our eyes on. We can't do that. But thankfully, God can. He sees, and it makes me think of when I was around 12 years old, Brother Saunders, and I was on my bike on the way home. My mom and some friends were having a prayer meeting at our house like they did every week. And um, I crossed a pretty busy road on my bike and wham, got hit pretty hard on that bike and flew up in the air. The driver and the passenger were, they were uh, pretty ecstatic in a bad way to say the least, thinking something bad had happened. But police came and I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk home, I'm fine, I'm gonna walk home. And before I could even get in that door, Everyone that was in that prayer meeting came running out and said, what happened to you? God made us stop our prayer meeting and start interceding for you. That's because God is a God that sees. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for looking over us and knowing better, Lord God, than what we think we see. Lord, you know. You know what's ahead. Jesus' name. Things happen fast in this world, and we have a God that protects us. Thank you, Brother Saunders, and um, we're thankful for that word, and we welcome you and your wife to Cincinnati. Amen. And let's just go ahead and just let this presence end this night. Go ahead and, and, and pray and greet one another, but if, if you're feeling the presence of God right now, continue to do that. And know that he sees you. Thank you, Jesus.